This week, Apple held its annual Worldwide Developer Conference online. The opening keynote, per usual, is what Apple used to announce a long list of software updates for the iPhone, iPad, Mac, and the rest of its hardware lineup. I'm Jason Cipriani with Jason Perlow, and on this episode of Jason Squared, we're going to talk about our favorite bits and pieces of the upcoming updates. All right, Perlow, what did you think about WWDC 21's opening keynote? Well, you know, I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, I'm here on vacation, so I'm kind of watching from afar. So I'm not, I'm, I'm paying attention to it, but I'm not paying like super close attention to it because I'm not like actively covering it this week, right? I haven't like written my write up or anything like that yet. But, um, you know, I think that we got lots of little things, right? I don't think we got like one giant bang announcement, you know, where, where something like something really important strategic was announced. We got a lot of lots of little, lots of little updates and tweaks to things. Um, but what I think what my the main takeaway I got from this is that Apple is uh, tightening the walls around the ecosystem or wanting to keep the Apple users in house away from and away from using competing products. So if we look at what happened with, you know, messages with FaceTime, um, you know, with we're seeing in the, the the element of sharing is now becoming very important to them, right? Within within the Apple ecosystem, sharing to other iOS users sharing to other iPad OS users sharing to other Mac users. They don't want you to use Facebook. They don't want you to. And, and if you're looking at like, you know, uh, the tabs that they did now on uh, the tab groups they did on Safari, that's very much a competitor to Pinterest, right? So we're seeing, and we're seeing, um, you know, FaceTime is now being becoming a full competitor to Zoom now, it looks like. So it looks like, you know, all the apps that we use in our daily lives from third parties Apple's trying to replace that so that, you know, your experience is within the Apple ecosystem long-term is what I see them doing. Yeah. I don't know if you remember OS 10 Leopard and the jump to OS 10 Snow Leopard and it, they came, Apple came out for that keynote and talked about the software update and how this year we're taking things a little bit slower and we're, we're making some subtle changes, but we're also improving performance. That's your this year's focus. And I don't, I've seen some people refer to iOS 15 and Mac OS Monterey uh, referred to as this year's Snow Leopard. I don't feel like it's that subtle of an improvement because there have been some pretty big features added. You were talking just now about iMessage. It received a huge upgrade as far as SharePlay goes. You can now uh, stream and watch content together with your your friends and family members through using FaceTime as the vehicle for that. So if you wanted to watch an episode of Ted Lasso or whatever it is together, you can do that on both ends of the FaceTime call with or without audio, with or without video, and even message each other during it. There's screen sharing, there's Apple Music sharing, and there's an API that allows us to expand beyond just Apple's own apps. Like TikTok is said to have partnered with them, HBO Max is partnered with them. They're already working with the API to do this. So there's a lot of, there's like tent poles, right? There's communication is one of the tent poles of iOS 15 and all these updates as a whole. Uh, discoverability, there's the new share with you feature that, or shared with you feature that if someone sends you a link, it shows up in your Safari homepage that, hey, this has been shared with you. If someone sends you photos, it your phone now automatically knows who's important to you and what photos you're going to want to see in your photos album. So instead of having to remember to save those pictures from your iMessage thread uh, of your, that, you know, your, your wife or whatever sent you of your trip, it's automatically saved to your photos app. There's a lot of, lot of big pieces here that come together for, to form, you know, 
in my opinion, what's going to turn out to be a pretty big upgrade. I spent a lot of time last night digging through all the little tiny features and everything, and there's there's a lot going on. And another tentpole, which I think we should talk about first uh, and get this out of the way, which has kind of been a tentpole that Apple's had in all of their updates recently is privacy. There were some big privacy features launched yesterday, and I'm not sure if people realize how far these features are going to go. Uh, it, it could potentially have the same impact on email marketing that iOS 14.5 had or will have on Google and Facebook. Um, and the fact that if you use Apple's default mail app, it will, by default, from my understanding, block tracking pixels and block Im and if it does load images it routes those through two different servers and IPs before they make it to your phone so so no one knows where you're at if you open the email it doesn't regardless if you open the email or not and there's a whole bunch of other stuff here iCloud plus has a whole bunch of privacy stuff what did you think of all that Perlo so it was enough to make me want to switch to the uh, the mail app from the, G, the, the Gmail app pretty much instantaneously. I, I already installed it on my iPhone. Um, I haven't updated my iPad, um, but um, as soon as I get home, I'm, I may be looking at moving um, from Gmail to the um, the mail app. I mean, I'm still using, I use still Gmail accounts, but I'll probably use um, the app. Um, I like the, I mean, the fact is, you know, I don't love the interface of the mail app, but the the fact that I can essentially, you know, block a lot of these tracking pixels. And also the the concept with iCloud Plus, which I think you're gonna get if you are a um, an Apple One customer, I think you should be getting that as I understand, because it just it turned it on by default for me. It didn't, it didn't prompt me. Um, so you should be able to use those burner email addresses uh, for anything you want, which I think is also gonna be huge. I mean, I, I, may, I may just start, you know, changing all my, my emails that I give out to mailing lists and things like that to these burner emails. You know, so I mean, that's that's a that's a huge thing. Um, as far as the private browsing with with the VPN stuff, um, I might use it. I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to move to Safari as my main browser, you know, yeah. to take advantage of that. But that's something that I, I I might think of doing. Yeah. So iCloud Plus, you're right. It is if you already pay pay for iCloud storage, you're you get iCloud Plus included, which allows you unlimited emails that you could delete at any time. So you can, you know, create a random iCloud email address to sign up for a newsletter or some shady website or whatever it is. Um, and then there's the VPN feature, which isn't device wide. I think they call it private browsing or something. It is only in Safari, which is kind of disappointing to me. I would rather it be device wide, like block everything, you know, uh, keep everything I do private, but I'm sure third-party developers will not enjoy that and they would get a lot of pushback on that. So I understand it. They're already doing the app tracking and you have to opt in. Uh, in iOS 14, the only part of that that was missing was Safari. So they fixed that now. And then one thing of iCloud Plus that I thought was really interesting is that you, it, it's not live yet from my understanding, but once iOS 15 launches, probably in September, that's usually when it happens, you'll be able to sign up and set custom domains on iCloud Plus. So this is a direct competitor to Google Workspace, to Office 365. I mean, this is potentially huge and you have all of the privacy features built into it from day one. Um, I don't know if they're gonna make a big enterprise push here or even a education push here, but 
there has to be some companies that are looking at that going, wait, tell me more. I want to know more. Well, yeah, if you're a small business and like, you know, everything, if you use all Macs and, you know, you're using your employees' iPhones, I think that's certainly something that's doable. I mean, you know, yeah, I, small uh, business. When I read that, it, it's on the uh, iOS 15 preview website. When I read about it last night, I, um, I've been looking to move away from Google workplaces or G Suite or whatever it is now um, for years. And, you know, when this comes out, I'm going to take a long, hard look at it because I'm already playing, paying for iCloud. I'm already paying for it. And right now I pay $7 a month for my Google email to go through my own personal domain. It makes no sense to keep it there and keep paying that money when I'm, I'm already paying for it through iCloud. So, I, you know, I'll probably make the switch as long as uh, the future parity is there and, it, you know, it could do what I need it to do. Yeah. What, what else stood out to you? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can discuss, but I mean, uh, I mean, we can, iPad OS, I think you and I, we both got the, the widgets we wanted. You got the, you got, you got the multitasking improvements you wanted. The question is how well is it implemented? I haven't had time to actually play with it because I haven't been able to update my, my iPad because you have to, it requires Wi-Fi access to be able to download that update on my iPad. And I only have 5G where I am. I, I have plenty of 5G you know, speed where I am, but I can't, I can't do Wi-Fi. So I haven't been able to update it. Um, interestingly, I was able to update my iPhone, but we did not get an answer as of yet. I mean, I, there's, there are the, the iPad Catalyst um, sessions on the 8th and oh, today, and I think it's mostly on the 10th, um, to talk about porting more Catalyst stuff to Mac, right? They, they haven't really talked about going in the other direction. Now, maybe Catalyst is just a general session where we talk about the APIs they've added. They said they've added a lot of APIs this year, but a lot of them are some of the new things that they talked about. Um, I have not seen anything about taking advantage of M1 on iPad. With, with So I was expecting to see more... Yeah, it's things about how to make more exploitive applications for iPad, things like I haven't seen sessions like that listed. Right. So yeah. uh, it's basically they're like, if you want to see that stuff, look at last year, you know, so, I, but so it's it, it. I'm wondering, what are we going to do with these giant, humongous iPads now that with, with, with you know, with 68 and 16 gigs of memory and these crazy, you know, M1 processors? What are we taking advantage of exactly? What I mean, don't, don't tell me this is all widgets needing to chew up that processor because otherwise they wouldn't have made it work on, on a lower end iPad. So it, it, it I feel like is there something else that's going to be coming after this event that they're going to tell us that they didn't yeah. want to tell us yet? Or, or we're just stuck with really powerful iPads and we're happy they're fast and that's the end of it. I mean, what's, yeah. what's, what, I mean, what's going on with that? Yeah. Yeah. So at first, after the keynote, while I was trying to catch my breath in between, in between writing stories, I kind of felt like iPadOS 15 was a letdown because look, the home screen widgets and app library launched last year on iPhone. Why did they have to wait another year? Why, to launch why them did on? we wait? Yeah. But I think at the core of the update after again, reading more, uh, browsing Twitter, people posting videos and stuff, I think there's some pretty big fundamental changes to the iPadOS uh, that aren't so obvious until you start using it. For example, I, I saw a tweet yesterday, and I, I even shared it with you, Perlo, of there is now a menu bar in, in iPad OS, and it's not the same kind of menu bar that you have on a Mac where it's at the top of the screen and 
you know, file, edit, view, go, whatever are, are constantly visible. But instead, you know, previous to iPadOS 15, if you held in the command key on an external keyboard, your keyboard shortcuts displayed on the screen and it took up most of the display. And it was just a long list that was hard to, to read through. And it just wasn't, it wasn't very intuitive or easy to use. But now if you hold in command, it brings up a menu bar that slides up from the bottom of the screen and you have file, edit, view, whatever categories that those keyboard shortcuts fall into, that is how the menu bar is separated on its own. And it, it looks like, I mean, it's that's the groundwork for, for better apps, right? They, they're really going hard on creating more computer-like, I don't want to say Mac-like, but computer-like apps that take advantage of the full screen. They have all these added features. And that menu bar, it's small, but it's going to get developers using it because it's simple keyboard shortcuts right now. But you could hide other features there, you know, whether it's sharing, you don't have to put a share button in there anymore, whatever, little things like that. You could hide advanced features in, in that menu bar. And so to me, iPadOS... Outside of not adding true external display support, it looks good. The, the new multitasking stuff looks easier to find. You can now put apps in split screen when you're in multitasking view without having to bounce around and do all kinds of you know uh, gestures on a trackpad. There's a lot of little things that I think, as I've said, are going to add up to be a, what's going to end up being a big update to iPad OS. It just doesn't look like that on the surface and it's easy for people to get frustrated. Now, as far as the M1 processor and the RAM goes, <coughs> sorry, as far as the M1 processor and the RAM goes, I don't know if we've heard the full story there, there yet either. I know there were some sessions at WWDC on, I believe Tuesday, shortly after the state of the union address or state of the platform address. Um, that covered how to take advantage of iPad apps, or I don't remember the exact title of it. I'd have to look it up. But look, they're giving apps right now five gigs of RAM to take advantage of whatever they're doing. And 16 gigs of RAM gives you plenty of apps, plenty of space to run in the background. So maybe maybe this is what we get. And there are some pro-level apps like LumaFusion and Pixelmator and stuff like that. And and by the way, they announced Swift Playground when iPadOS 15 launches will be able to fully develop. It's not just a playground. We should anymore. we should dig into this, Jason, because yeah. like so we so we're not getting Xcode, okay? But I think what we're learning is is that Swift is the programming language of the future for oh, yeah. for for the for all the platforms. So I mean, you know, we used to think of all right, well. If we're not going to get like the super catalyst sort of you know view of the of the planet where we unify around around catalyst, and the, and the question is, I'm I'm actually wondering how hard they're truly going to push catalyst. This you know I'm, I think there's two sessions on it, but to, if you build a this this Swift app, and now that you have concurrency built in, so you can have these much more responsive, you know apps that you used to build in C language and, and Objective C and all that, and this is a high level language that you know you can teach kids to program in. So Maybe we can build these really exploitive apps that run on, you know, I, iOS, iPad, Mac, um, Apple TV, um, and and watch that, you know, use this 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 rapid development language, um, and maybe we'll be able to maybe this maybe that's the future, you know, 
yeah. and, and being able to, and now that you have this, this studio for it, um, you know, that's streamlined, you don't, you don't have all the legacy code stuff that Xcode has into it. So you don't need to run Xcode on, a, on an iPad. You have your development environment within, within Swift, within the studio um, on an iPad, which I think, you know, and then it'll run on lower end iPads too. You know, you don't have to buy a kid an iPad Pro. You can buy them, you can buy them a standard iPad with the keyboard and, and the kid can, can write his apps. Um, I think that'll be great for, for the educational arena. So, so Apple's looking to cultivate an entire new generation of programmers, you know, for the yeah. next, for the next, for the next 10 years with this, um, you know, I mean, so I think that's significant. Um, yeah, I do too. I, I think that, look, I, the biggest thing about Swift Playgrounds becoming basically Xcode on the iPad to me is Apple chose not to name it Xcode. They, they didn't change the name. They left it at what it is, which to me signals that we're not going to see Logic Pro. We're not going to see Final Cut Pro. We're not going to see Xcode. Apple is not going to just bring the same exact apps that are on Mac over to iPad. Instead, they're going to have it's it's going to have its own approach in different naming scheme, which I think um, I don't know. I have mixed feelings on that. But as far as Swift goes, yeah, I mean, this Apple's been pushing Swift hard. What is it? Seven years old now, and uh, eight years old. I, I don't remember. I think seven. And so this has been something Apple's been pushing and working for. And if a kid's first programming language in elementary school is Swift because Playgrounds is on the iPad they're handed to in the classroom, which this has happened to my kids. They know about Swift Playgrounds without me telling them about it. That is going to be the programming language of the future because they're going to know it. It's just going to be something they learn, like they learn math or English or you know science, and programming is going to be Swift. And yeah, maybe they'll branch out to other languages, but you know that first language you learn is something that's going to stick with you. Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, you know, in in you know middle school, and this is like you know when I'm you know 12, 13 years old, we all learned basic, you know, and basic you know ran on everything. I mean, we had slightly different versions of basic between the different PCs. You know, we had at the time, you know, we had the Apple IIs. We had, you know, the TRS 80s, the Radio Shacks, that the uh, the Commodores, 64s, their pets, and all those. They all could run a version of Basic, and we learned Basic in school. And you know, we had computer labs, and we were able to go home and program for those of us that had computers um, or used the, the the labs there. So it was a, a a unifying thing that we were able to print out our programs, and you know, in a sense, we shared them with our friends, you know, in hard copy. Today, you know, these kids will be sharing Swift apps with each other you know they'll be swapping apps over over you know they may be able to send it to each other over you know uh iMessage an, an entire app stack or whatever right. who, I mean who knows you know so you know it, these kids will have the same sort of social learning experience with programming um that we did uh in just a much more accelerated fashion so it, it'll be interesting to see how that language evolves I mean we're going to get a professional um, a higher end super swift you know in, in a couple of years or you know Whatever you know, it's 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 interesting to see it, how pure that language is going to stay, um, if it'll become more adopted in the rest of the industry. You know, if we if we start seeing it more in the open source side, if we start seeing it, you know, Swift apps on Windows and whatnot, it'd be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So, what did you think about Mac OS Monterey and the announcements they made? Well, um, you know, I, I think it'll obviously it incorporate some of the things from iOS 15 that we're we're going to see. So there there will be some um you know it's 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 a it's our 
it's an evolutionary change, right? I mean, I, I think the um, the stuff that they have with universal control is interesting. Is interesting. I don't know if I'll use it because I tend yeah. to keep my iPad and you know and my iPhone you know away from me when I'm writing. Um, but I think there will be people that really like that. Um, you know, I, I used to use something very similar to that back when I was a Linux user and I had to use, you know, my Windows keyboard and mouse at the same time as my Linux box. So I was able to control Windows on both sides uh, and type in both at the same time, you know, and move the mouse back and forth. So this is kind of the same thing as that. Um, in fact, there's a couple of people I saw mentioned on Twitter that had written apps like that before for other platforms like, oh, they just killed my, they just killed my app. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I think that's kind of like what Apple has done a lot in this, in this event, they've killed lots of little things that we've used as utilities and stuff. And now they're bringing it into their, you know, it, we, we don't know, we don't have to pay for those things anymore or install them anymore. They're just going to work by default, which I think is going to be nice. Um, you know, I, it, it's more, it, it's, it's more, again, the, the Mac at this point is more tying in the ecosystem with all the other stuff that you have that's apple right you know I, I i don't see anything super new unique i mean there's the new notes app it looks like it's going to replace uh you know what's what's that thing that everybody uses that 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 uh, evernote kind of you yeah, know yeah. uh and then there's also a, a microsoft equivalent um that that people use um, but it, it you want to know yeah so i think that's kind of like app, apple's version of one notes you know slash evernote um we'll see how much people use it you know, there's a lot of little, there's a lot of little things that they announced at this, at this WWDC that I think could end up being features that people don't touch, and they'll end up ripping them out in a year. I mean, we've seen this happen with iOS before, you know, with like, you know, 3D, 3D press and all kinds of little things that eventually, you know, they see that people didn't use those things enough. So they didn't, so they didn't develop them any further. So, I mean, I mean, you I mean, look, if 20% of the stuff from this, from the show sticks, I think it'll be successful. I mean, I mean, and there's a lot, of, I mean, there's a ton of stuff, little things they announced. Let's see if the users flock to them. I mean, like, like the sharing between watching shows with your friends and listening to music with your friends. I don't know, maybe a couple of teenagers might like it, but someone my yeah, yeah. age doesn't see a hell of a lot of value in that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's something my, my teenage daughter's going to use with her friends. That's not something I'm going to use on a business trip to watch whatever new show is the hottest show out with, you know, with my wife back at home. It's just not going to happen. Um, one, one feature I do want to talk about before we wrap up here is the new live text feature, which is a lot like Google Lens in that you can... Yeah, you could point your camera at um, text on a wall or, you know, wherever, or even animals and plants, and your camera will now identify that there's text there that you can then copy, paste, and research, you know, look up online in Safari or whatever. Or if you're looking at a dog, it'll tell you information about the breed of the dog. But all of this is done on device. None of it leaves the device, which is I would assume why it took Apple so long to roll out a similar feature. You know, Google used, when Google Lens launched, it was all done. You know, you, you had to have a network connection. And now I think most of it's done on device as well. But Apple launched this again with beating that privacy drum. They launched it with on device processing only machine learning. And it looks really well done. I can't tell you how many times I've taken a picture of a, uh, a shipping label wanting to copy and paste the tracking number out of it, not to be able to do it. I mean, downloaded app after app, you know, OCR apps that would be able to convert text into, you know, digital text. And now this is 
built in directly into the camera app and in your photos app. And it doesn't matter if the picture is 10 years old or if you took it yesterday, you're going to be able to copy stuff out of it. So I'm really excited for live text. I, th I think it looks fantastic. The, the live text is cool, but I'll tell you what I was even more excited about is the fact that now Siri has the ability to use the same machine learning uh, electronics uh, on the uh, the Apple Silicon chips because it you be because I can't tell you how many times I've asked Siri to do something very simple like you know start a timer or you know just simple tasks and then have it go out to the cloud and come back and I'll have to wait, you know, 30 seconds for it to give me a response. Now yeah. it's going to be much more, much faster. And this is, by the way, similar technology to what is used um, in the uh, Amazon, um, you know, Echo Alexa uh, generation fours with the machine learning chip they had built onto those units. Um, essentially you are offloading, you know, uh, CPU from the cloud to your local device to be able to do things. And it, it improves query time tremendously, uh, being able to do that. So the more machine learning stuff that we see, whether it's on you know, the iPhone or the iPad, or even on the, on the M1 Max um, or on, on Apple TV, um, you know, we will, we're gonna get much more responsive uh, personal agents, uh, you know, and, and just, just all the different things they can do with machine. And like I said, this, 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 this live tech stuff is neat, but there's so many other things that you can do with machine learning um, that, that I think we're finally going to start seeing the horsepower of these chips come into play, you know, for more practical kinds of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of this live text being one of them that's limited to the A12 Bionic. So it's not across the board. If your device has iOS 15, you're going to be able to do this. It's all in the fine print on Apple's iOS preview page. Uh, there's, there's many, many features that were announced yesterday that uh, require the A12 chip, which is what we're currently using. Um, all right, so the A12 Bionic chip is iPhone 10s or newer. So you have it in the 10s, 10x Max, uh, the 10R, iPad Mini, fifth gen, the iPad Air, third gen or newer, iPad 2020, obviously 2021, as well as the brand new Apple TV 4K. So if you have a phone within the last couple of years, you're gonna be able to take advantage of live text and some of these more advanced machine learning features. But if you have an older iPhone, you're still going to get iOS 15 because that's the good news here. iOS 14, if it runs on your device right now, Apple did not drop any support for iPad or iPhone or Apple Watch for that matter. There are some Macs that got dropped off. I think 2015 MacBooks got dropped off from the list. But basically, if you have an Apple Watch Series 3 or newer, iPhone 6S or newer, and then a lot of the iPads, I, the list is too long, but basically if you have a device that runs current software, you're good. Uh, you're gonna be able to install iOS 15, which is very exciting. And we're, we're talking about iPhone 6S was released in 2015, six years of support. Yeah, good luck trying to do that with Android devices, right? Oh, I was on Reddit last night uh, <laughs> and there was a lot of Android threads really upset with the software support that Apple continues to have with its iOS releases. A lot of very angry Android users on Reddit last night, which you know made me laugh because I, I understand it. I have tons of Android phones and half of them you know, are two or three operating systems behind because they're only four years old, but Android just, it doesn't carry over like that. Any closing thoughts, Perlo? 
No, look, I'm, I'm really looking forward to putting all this stuff through its paces. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll download, uh, you know, iPad OS uh, 15 as soon as I get home and I'll get, uh, you know, watch OS 8. And we didn't even talk about watch OS 8. Watch OS 8 as soon as I get home and I'll get, I'll get uh, you know, uh, the new Mac OS 12, uh, you know, Monterey as soon as, as soon as I get home. So I'll be, a lot, I'll be playing a lot of stuff. I'll be, of course, in beta hell. As you know, I always put myself through beta hell whenever this happens. And there's always going to be stuff that breaks. You have to expect it. Um, I saw your article uh, recently uh, about why you shouldn't necessarily jump to it. You know, pe <laughs> yeah. people like us can do that because we can sort of, you know, put up with our own, you know, you know, dog food. But your average user, uh, you might want to wait, you know, before the until the first uh, actual public beta comes out. Uh, don't necessarily jump into the developer beta unless you really know what you're doing or, 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 or just don't care that things are going to blow up in your face. Yeah, apps don't work, stuff crashes. There's usually a show-stopping bug or two at some point. And battery life is absolutely miserable when you're testing th these early betas. I completely agree. As far as the public beta goes, that will launch in July. Apple did not give more specific timing than that. And I would even hedge that you should wait until you're two or three betas into the public beta. So August timeframe is when I, for, for regular people, that's when I say, all right, now's the time. Go ahead and start installing it. It's, it's ironed out enough. But early adopters, they're going to do what they're going to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, if they're willing to put up with, with the bugs and troubleshoot it on their own, um, I look forward to seeing more stuff come out about iOS 15 and iPadOS 15 over the coming days and weeks, whether it's through leaks or whatever. Uh, it, there's a lot of stuff here I think that we're going to really enjoy unpacking down the road when it officially launches in September. I'm Jason Cipriani. And I'm Jason Perlo on vacation. And this is Jason Squared. Thanks for listening. We truly appreciate it. Make sure to check out more of our work at ZDNet.com.